Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 40 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Aaron, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So, so episode 40, does that mean the show's like having a midlife crisis or something? Yeah, it does feel like maybe we're having a midlife crisis. We've actually gotten kind of good, though. We've gotten to be pretty weekly, pretty uh, consistent. So uh, I think I'm, that's our goal for, for 2012. We finally got our scheduling act together. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. We'll see. So you've been you've been quiet on Twitter, but the guy who has not been quiet on Twitter is our is our guest tonight. So after about a six month layoff, and it feels like it hasn't been that long, but uh, good to finally have Brian Katz back on the show. Brian, welcome back. Thank you, guys. It's good to be back. And uh, yeah, I haven't been too quiet on Twitter recently. <laughs> we uh, I think the last time we had you on, and I, and I and I went back and looked. It's been about six months. It was you and uh, Tal Klein who. At the time, was at Citrix, is now over at Bromium. And um, back then, you know, we were talking, and, and you were telling us you had like a regular job. You were like director of mobility in the pharmaceutical industry. It feels like these days you're like professional blogger slash trade show uh, panel session shitster. You're, you're all over the place, man. How, <laughs> what's what's going on? How come you got uh, so much more visible and 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 sort of audible about what's, about what you're doing these days? Well, I pretty much stopped sleeping, and that kind of gives you a lot of time. Uh, you know, it, it, it's I decided to make a commitment to certain things. You know, I'm working really hard. I'm still a director of mobility at a pharmaceutical company. I'm enjoying that. We're doing a lot of cool stuff. But, I, you know, when you do stuff you love, it's kind of easy to talk about it. And, you know, when you work so hard during the day, you want to actually have good conversations and engage with people. Yeah. So that's where Twitter comes in. That's where I've been lucky enough to ask to be a panelist at a couple of different shows recently. And so it's kind of worked out. So so talk real quick about some of the events that you've been going to because they're they're different than kind of some of the major maybe vendor trade shows. What what are some of the the say BYOD consumerization IT? What are some of the the things you've been going to lately? Well, uh I won't know that it'd be different from a traditional trade show being that I went to Interop recently and they have a whole mobile track which is really growing so I went in New York last year and that was the first time they asked me to be a panelist and I ended up going to Interop in Las Vegas and was a panelist there as well and then went to a couple of the cloud stuff but you know there are a lot of people who are more interested in BYOD consumerization of IT uh, I did an AirWatch conference recently and in two weeks, I'm doing Mobile Connect Up in Boston, which is the inaugural of that uh, conference. And I just found out the other day that I will be doing a session at Bryform in okay. Chicago in July. So, Very cool. Yeah, Brian Madden's a good guy. He's uh, not afraid to sort of... Um, Sort of challenge challenge vendors. He knows his stuff. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're working at, at Brian's event, you know you're going to have people that are that know what they're talking about, are passionate about it. So that's very very cool. Um, so let's let's dive into a little bit of this stuff. Um, you know, the thing that jumped out at me 
even even reading a lot of your blogs and, and your blogs called a screws loose um, for anybody that hasn't been out reading it and is interested in this space. Um, so, you know, it sort of dawned on me, the iPad's been out for like two, two plus years now. Uh, we're up to Gen 3 of that. Obviously, there's there's a ton of other uh, mobility types of devices, whether they're sort of called phones or tablets. And, you know, sometimes it feels like we, we, we kind of have been discussing this space for a while. And then sometimes I go back and read your blog or I watch some of the, the threads and it still feels like maybe we don't have all the basics together. So I wonder if we might take just a couple of minutes before we kind of really get into this and kind of, from your perspective, uh, level set about a few things that are kind of confusing. So let's 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 start with that if you're okay with it. Um what what's what's your take on or your sort of definition of BYOD versus maybe the the biggest misconception you hear about it? Okay, so th- that's a great that's a great question there. And I talk to a lot of people, and you see a lot of surveys about bring your own device for those that don't know what BYOD is. And I tend to focus on phones and tablets. Okay. You know, I tend I tend to leave out the BY. You know. We now have tons of acronyms, BYOC, bring your own computer, BYOL, bring your own laptop. Um, a friend of mine did a post the other day because somebody said BYOB, bring your own behavior. And it, <laughs> Nice. And, well, it's, it's interesting because he heard this, and as people start dealing with BYOB, they realize that a lot of it's based upon the behavior of the people who own the device. And... There is a behavior piece of how you treat the device, how work treats it, and everything else. Um, but one of the biggest misconceptions I think about BYOD is BYOD doesn't mean that you put email on a device. So we see a lot of people who will say 75%, 80% of corporations will tell, tell you that they're doing BYOD. And then when you start asking what they're really doing, a lot of them are going to tell you, oh, we let them have email whether it's through good, through a different program, whether it's just exchange actively, that's the only thing they allow to happen. And I draw the distinction that in order for it to be a true BYOD device, you have to have access to the corporate ecosystem. So you have to be actually, whether it's SharePoint, Documentum, but you should be looking at documents, you should be able to read them, you should be able to get to the internet websites, fill out forms, um, if you have SAP that you're doing expenses, you should be able to do all this stuff and have access to that ecosystem. That's true BYOD. And when you start looking at that, that's when you start talking about the data that's important to a company. Okay. Now, how does that uh, how does that sort of immediately differ? And we won't go into a lot of sort of definitional stuff because this show would get kind of boring. But <laughs> con- contrast that to the other acronym that's kind of popped up here quite a bit lately, COIT or consumerization of IT. What's some folks like to blur those together, mix them together. What's what's different about those two kind of acronyms or topics or, or terminologies? So one way to think of it is um, the consumerization of IT, which is what COIT stands for, is the superset and BYOD is a subset. So BYOD is part of the consumerization of IT. And a lot of people want to treat it separately, and it's not. Because what the consumerization of IT is talking about is end users, employees, just everybody now has stuff at home that's as good as what as good or better than what they have at work. You know, if you think back 10 years ago, if you got a laptop, 
you didn't have one at home. You know, you may have a 386 and at work you were getting a 486 or when Pentium started coming out. You didn't have, you had much better computers, everything else at work that you didn't have access to at home. And now the balance has switched. People have tablets, people have gaming laptops, people have smartphones, and businesses are just starting to look at that stuff. Whereas you have people who are using it for, you know, I think you guys actually use it for exercise. Um, I know you guys do, you know, do the uh, the donut run, and I, uh, I yeah, talk, yeah, you know, and I know you guys um, did video from that and a bunch of other stuff, and you can do that. And these are things that businesses were struggling to do two or three years ago, you know, with what they had. So consumerization IT is talking about the fact that consumers are much more savvy about um, technology, really. And the other term that you hear around that is the ITization of the consumer. So consumers are much better at supporting themselves, figuring stuff out. They're becoming a little bit more like IT. They're much more knowledgeable. Right, right. Yeah, the other, the other term I, I love that you use, and, and uh, this sort of flies in with, with what, what Aaron and I like to talk about. So, so you, you, you tend to talk about um, sort of mobile applications. Or you, you, kind of, you kind of fragment applications between kind of truly mobile, touch-aware, um, maybe API-driven type of applications. And then there's everything else, which is however you deliver it. It's VDI or it's uh, streaming desktop or it's terminal service, whatever. And you lump everything else in that into what you call craplications, and which, which I love because it's kind of, it, it puts a very distinct point on the stuff that, was designed to, to run on a desktop or Windows or, or, you know, it wasn't designed for touch. It was designed for a mouse or it wasn't designed for a six-inch screen or an eight-inch screen. I think it puts a really distinct kind of wrapper around it to say, that's probably not going to work like you expect it to. you got to have kind of a bifurcation of thinking of your applications. Is that fair for, for how you, you use that term? That's part of it. You, okay. you hit about half of it. So. Okay. Um, there are craplications that are built for touch. You know, when you're looking at a craplication, there, there are two ways to look at it. Number one, a craplication is an app that just has a lousy UI, user interface, or a lousy user experience, UX. And, you know, there are apps that people build that you sit there and, you know, you can't figure out what you're supposed to do. There are 20 buttons, but they're too small, they're too big. It doesn't scroll to the next screen. You know, that'll also qualify as a crap application. And you're absolutely right. The legacy apps that people are, through VDI or whatever else, are making available to tablets and phones. And, you know, I saw somebody recently who was looking at a spreadsheet through VDI, and they had, you know, on a desktop it would have looked great, but they had on a tablet about 30, you know, 30 um, rows, 15 columns across, and the boxes were so small that when they tried to do anything on it, and they, you know, they used some, you know, some engineering that allowed them to um, have some touch on it, and they couldn't grab the cell. They were zooming or trying to zoom and do all this other stuff, and it was just, it was painful to watch. And it's those painful experiences, which is what I call craplications. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, you know, let's 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 
let's sort of work backwards. So a lot of a lot of the, the blogs that you've written lately, and, and again, we'll we'll list we'll we'll sort of put them out there in the show notes for folks to go easily go take a look at them. So you've been talking about a bunch of different aspects of it. Some of them have been behavioral aspects, you know, how people are, are adopting or, or creating roadblocks. Some of them are about the technology. But let's let's kind of work backwards because I think the, the one thing that I take out of what you've been talking about a lot lately is I think you've got a, a vision for how you want to do things and whether you're fully able to do that at your current job or, you know, it's a work in progress is kind of irrelevant. But let, let's kind of work backwards. Let's, let's say somebody came to you and they said, look, um, I've got two or three really good business opportunities that I think if we um, were able to put the technology in a new way into the hands of the people that could take action, it's sales, it's doctors, it's whatever, walk me through kind of uh, what success looks like and then how do you get back to success, right? So sort of working backwards from the, the, the business problem is successful because because you can bring mobile to it. You can bring the right data at the right place. But how does what what's the model look like getting getting it right, working backwards to that? At least at a high level. So at a high level, you know, if we don't go into the individual steps right now, at the high level what it looks like is the whoever it is, let's say it's a salesperson, mm-hmm. they have the technology at their fingertips and it's ubiquitous. So if they want to do a sales presentation, they're not booting up a laptop. They're not, you know, putting in passwords, figuring out where everything is, trying to look at it and fit that themselves and whoever they're selling to behind one screen. You know, it's more of a matter of, hey, here's a presentation. We throw up, let's take an iPad. We throw up an um, iBook and you're handing that to the person you're, you want to see it. You're actually letting them walk through it. Um, I did a great example, uh, probably about eight or ten blog posts ago about a car salesman. And we all know how the experience is just absolutely horrible. But what if, on the other hand, the car salesman, you walk in, they see you, and you know, they say hello, and you know, their first thing to do is to get some information from you. And they want to know what, you, what kind of car you're looking for, etc., and as they do that, they have a tablet, and what you see is they're checking a couple boxes. They have a couple, you know, they have a couple menus that pop down, but it's easy. It doesn't get in the way of the conversation. As they go through the conversation, they say, "So, the kind of car you're looking for, what color do you want it to be?" And they go through all that stuff, and then they say, "Okay, so why don't we? Why don't you look at some tech sheets?" And they hand the tablet to the customer. And the customer can actually look at the text sheet, scroll through them. It's not they get five different pamphlets. It's they get one tablet. The software is there. They can compare it. And, oh, by the way, if they're looking at two different models or two different cars, they can compare them right there on the screen. And when they're done, the salesman says, well, as opposed to me collecting the information from you, you know, who you are and everything, how about you send the brochures to yourself, and if it's okay with you, we're going to take your email address and phone number and all. And now they already got some data in the system. And then you start talking about a test drive. So you look at the different um, cars that you did, the colors that you did. And as you're doing that, um, so you're looking at you're looking at the pamphlets. You know what color they want. And you're handing the tablet back to the salesperson. They go, let's see what we have on the lot. 
Now, in the past, what that meant was going through this big sheaf of papers or going to a green terminal where, you know, they're not exactly touch typing. They're hunting back in here. They already know the car. They look through the lot and say, you know what, we have that color or we don't have that color, but we have the exact car you're looking for in this color. And at the same time, maybe they have a key fob that they hold up using NFC to the tablet, and now they have a key so they can go take you for a test drive. Okay, so they're sitting in the car and they have questions. So you just pull over right there and you say, okay, let's pull over. You hand them the iPad. You know, they want to know what the horsepower is or something else. You can go through it. And if there's someone else with them, they can do it and they can do it in the passenger seat. And you can look through all that stuff. And then when you get back to the showroom, if they say, hey, let's make a deal, you already have that information there. You don't have to spend hours filling out forms. You know, you may ask two or three more questions, but now you're sending it to the financial person, and then you have to go through all that fun stuff. But the point is, what you're trying to do is actually make it ubiquitous. They didn't sit there. You didn't have to go sit down in front of a big computer and do all this stuff. Um, another example, you mentioned like a doctor you or a clinician. You walk into a clinic. You're going to take a test or whatever. They're going to ask you questions. They can have a big bulky clipboard, or they can walk around with a little bit of ta- with a tablet, and as they're asking you questions, this stuff gets synced automatically. If a flag gets um, thrown up because you have a symptom, you can actually see if other people have that symptom. You can do real-time data right there. So when you ask me what, what it should look like, it's delivering the information that the people um, who are your employees are at the end point need when they need it and where they need it. And that doesn't mean you have to be chained to a desk anymore. So so, so let me ask you this then. So what of, of everything you just, the, the, the picture you just painted, what pieces are, are possible today and what are the biggest holes that, that need to be addressed today? Almost everything's possible today. The holes that have to be addressed, well, there are two or three pieces that have to be addressed. Um, if we were in a perfect world, everything's possible today except for maybe some of the security. But if we don't talk about security for a second, one of the things I talk about in a lot of my posts is we tend to lock data up in enterprises. I work in a big enterprise. I think both of you work in enterprises where we put data away. We limit access. We're very careful about how we do that sort of stuff. And what we find that happens is it's very difficult to deliver that data to the employee who needs it. And what I talk about a lot is taking that data and opening it up and building an API to access that data, building an identity system so you can prove identity at the same time, and then you build apps at the other end that access that API and give the information to the person in the mode that they need it. You can do all that today. There are a couple of companies that are doing that, some faster than others. What's missing is right now we're still, most companies are in a legacy mode. And what, that, what I mean by that is their strategy is very much, we need to protect the device. So it's still the old days. If your computer's locked down, you're going to work everything that way. Um, you encrypt the drive, you have to log in with AD, 
you have all these other all these other pieces that work together antivirus everything else and what we need to move to is a point where we're protecting the information and the policy travels with the information versus the device so yes, not- and, and then what you're saying there is uh, the kind of the key point I'm getting out of that is the data doesn't reside on the device permanently and that's probably a key difference in the enterprise today. The reason why everyone's trying to lock it down all the time is because the data could potentially be on that device and could leak out, correct? Well, sure. And the answer is even in a mobile world, the data should, in many cases, have to stay on the device for a while. You know, you have to prepare for being able to work offline as well as online. It's one of the reasons that when people talk about VDI and other stuff, well, that's kind of difficult you know, take a sales rep that has to go sell to a doctor in a hospital. You see all the signs where they tell you to turn off your cell phones and your cell radios. Well, what happens when you're offline and your presentation's back in corporate? And you have to do that through VDI. So there is data on the device, but that doesn't mean you can't protect the data on the device without necessarily making the device so difficult to access that people don't want to use it. We call that, we call that mobile information management. And part of, you know, I've heard people say, well, you're talking about, you know, DRM and some of these other things. And no, what we're really talking about is encryption and a little bit of corporate tagging to know that it's corporate data. But if you put encrypted data on a device and then you you encrypt it with a certificate and everything and you have two-factor authentication, if you revoke that certificate, even if someone takes that device, they can't access that data regardless of what app gets into it. Okay. Is that synthesized? Yep. Yeah. So, so talk for a second. Um, uh, you, you, you just mentioned uh, mobile information management. I think it's, sometimes it's called MIM or MIM. And then we, you know, we also sometimes hear mobile device management or mobile application management. Talk real quick about the difference between those things and, and, why some people are are interested in in managing devices and others are interested in managing the application what's 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 going on what's the thinking behind why there's all those different terms pretty simple so think of it this way mobile device management is, when i talk about legacy thinking legacy strategy that's pretty much what mobile device management is it's locking down the device you can do a wipe of the of the entire device you can lock it remotely. You can clear passcode if someone forgets what it is. And, you know, if they put the passcode in too many times, it'll initiate an auto wipe. You can pass information to it. You could, if you wanted to, track it via GPS because most of them have GPS chips in it. Um, but the analogy to make with that is uh, MDM is dead. I've been saying this for years, and the analogy that I've been making is if you remember back in the early 2000s, you had SMS 2.0, and that was the product. Everybody talked about managing the machine, and you used SMS. And what you found was SMS was functionality that was moved into SCCM, was moved into you know other products, BMC. Everybody has that type of that type of feature now. So MDM moves from a product to a feature eventually, and it gets taken over by MAM where MAM is mobile application management, where you're actually managing the applications themselves, not the device. So, for example, you might not password protect your whole device, 
you might only password protect your applications. So in a device that is a BYO device, you can have your own applications and use them any way you'd like, but when you're using corporate applications, you're going to have to log in, provide some authentication to them, and the data is locked in those applications. And the next step on that is mobile information management, where you're not necessarily locking the applications, but the policies on the data. And when an application sees corporate data, it takes a lockdown mode, but when it sees your own data, it's on an open mode. Okay. And and all of these things, I, you know, I, I know there's there's some companies today that are kind of in that space. Um, I want to say Symantec bought one of the companies recently, and um, and then you've got people like uh, like VMware who are you know touting these things where it's like, well, we'll we'll kind of bifurcate the device, right? They'll they'll you'll run your personal stuff in a personal VM, and you'll run your corporate stuff in a corporate VM. I mean, are are those all variations of the same? Um, aspect of managing either an application or the device, or are they really very, very different uh, ways, you know, very, very uh, kind of different models? They're different models. Okay. And they're really three different models right now. There is the VMware model, and there's another company called Enterproid that does something similar. Um, Different levels, but what the VMware model does is what they do best. They have a hypervisor, and they actually create two VMs. Or actually, you have your phone, and you have a second. You have a second phone essentially on your device, which is a VM. Okay. So you have the original device. You have your original phone, and then you have your VM. And that VM, you store. You can store the same applications or different applications, but that becomes your corporate one. So if the phone's ever compromised or anything else or let's say you leave the company they delete that VM but they leave your data alone some of the some of the drawbacks to that are now you have to be aware when you actually are on your corporate side or you're on your personal side and for example if you're if you can only make phone calls for work on your corporate side well what do you do when the phone rings and how do you know which one to answer or if you're going to make a call to your wife or whatever else, you have to make sure you're on the right one so minutes get charged appropriately, right. time gets charged appropriately. If you, you, know, you want to dash a quick note off to somebody or you're going to write up, you know, you're on a tablet and you want to write up you know, a note to whoever, you have to make sure you're in the right container to do that. And, you know, it's, I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of it because I don't think consumers really want that model. Where they have two of everything, you know, two apps, one on the cor- one on the corporate side, one on the personal side, and they actually have to put in thinking to which side they're on when they're using a device. Yeah. It, it seems very, um, yeah, it just screams of you know that the, the bastard operator from hell kind of thing, right? <laughs> that. Well, it's, it's like unbelievably mistake prone. I mean, I, I do it all the time. Well, I do it all the time. Like, I just thinking as you're talking about it, I do it all the time because, like, on my iPhone, you know, they'll, they'll merge all your emails. And, you know, I've got a Gmail account and a corporate account, and, you know, it picks one by default. So I'm constantly sending work emails that by default are going back, are going back yeah. to Gmail. I don't even think about it. I do it. that and, too. <laughs> and I'm sure because of autofill, the people on the other end just start typing in a few letters and they send them back to me. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's all sorts of error prone if, if nothing else. So, um, 
Cool. So that's so that's one way of doing it. The yeah. second way is most people have heard of good mobile messaging, mm-hmm. and they they have what they call containerization. And what that means is you have a separate. You know, they started off as an email company, and your email was in a separate encrypted container. But you opened the app, and that was your corporate mail, and it couldn't mix with anything else on your device. They've now come out with um, good dynamics. And what that is is they're building containers around applications. Um, they just released Copian, which is um, one for SharePoint and other stuff. They're working with um, a couple of other vendors so that they can create a giant container that it's similar, but it really is different from the VMware stuff because you're in that container when you're using your data. The and container is that. a little more seamless. And does that also handle, like, uh, one of the things I, I was just thinking about is, okay, I've got a phone and I, I'm looking at my corporate email and, oh, there's an attachment and I want to open it, but I have to save it to the phone to be able to look at it. And if we don't have that, effectively, you know, you kind of had some data leakage there potentially if I'm, it's my personal device or it's something I could very easily save off. But in that environment, that does that saving of an attachment reside within the container? Yes. So Okay. So it helps with that thing. issue. Absolutely. And if you want to open that attachment directly from the mail, with good dynamics, they're providing helper applications that allow you to open it and look at it, but they're secure. So the data is kept within that container. Any cache or any documents that you write are kept within that container. So, you know, it, it certainly got some very good points. There are a lot of people who are looking to do that sort of containerization. And then you have the third model, which is really... Nucona, which was bought by Symantec. Um, there was Rap that was bought by AppSense. Um, there's a company called Mokana that does it. There are a few other smaller ones that are doing it. And some of the MDM vendors are going that way now, too. That what you actually do is you're wrapping individual apps. And you they have an SDK or an API that they're using. And when you open a document in there, you're doing things like, okay, let's turn off taking a screenshot Let's turn off everything but corporate email while you're in that app. Let's not allow them to save to um, any cloud but our corporate cloud. And you can build that into each app. And so, therefore, when you get an app from the app store, your internal app store, you have these pieces built in that allow you to do that. Um, Where that falls short at the moment is there really aren't too many people who can wrap public apps that you get from the Apple Store or the Google Play Store and especially from Apple, Apple doesn't want you to change something that's been submitted. Um, There are companies that say they can do it and there are companies that are demonstrating some technology but there's also some negotiation with Apple and everything else that has to go there for that to be kosher. Gotcha, gotcha. So, uh, you know, we, we, we I mean, we haven't dove into a, a lot of a lot of the technologies. I think uh, it's, you're much better off kind of digging into your blog. What are for for folks, whether it's your experience or people you've been talking to? What what are the big barriers? What are the? I mean, you talked a little bit about you know kind of the legacy thinking about applications um, or some of the legacy thinking about devices. But whether it's whether it's legal stuff or security stuff, what what are you hearing? Like a, one or two consistent big roadblocks to people getting started or being successful at, at 
their first couple of mobile applications? Well, let's let's take a step back before we hit mobile applications because there are some stumbling blocks because right now you can't look anywhere without seeing BYOD being mentioned and everybody, you need to do BYOD um, and it saves money, it does a bunch of other things, it cures cancer, it you know, BYOD is the panacea for today's age, um, at least for the enterprise. And that's not true. But some of the roadblocks you're starting to see is legal starting to look at this stuff and they're starting to say, wait a second, if there's data, if there's corporate data on the device, is there a way to remove that data without affecting the personal data that's on someone's bring your own device? And yeah, there's some technologies that are starting to enable that, but they're not necessarily guarantees. So legal saying you have to wipe the entire device. And where they run into problems is, well, that's somebody's personal device and their personal data is on there. And there have actually been a couple of lawsuits on that have been successful for the people who were suing that in one case someone um, misplaced the device, the device got wiped, and a novel that they had been writing on their device w- went up in smoke, and they sued, and if I remember correctly, they won $2.1 million. Now, uh, what did you now what did you call that? You and I had a DM the other day. You called that like AUP? Or- so, so one of the things that you really desperately need if you're going to do um, bring your own device is you need an acceptable use policy. And I abbreviate at AUP, and I have a blog post called The Secret Sauce for BYOD. And what's important about an acceptable use policy is it can't just be what you shouldn't do. So a lot of companies, when they write an acceptable use policy, says you may not surf porn. You may not take data off the device. If you lose the device, you must call in so we can wipe it. You can't do this. You can't do that. And one of the things with an acceptable use policy is it's got to spell out what they want you to do as well. And a good example of that is um, Coca-Cola bottling um, has seen, I think the number is they've seen a 30% rise when they handed out iPads and trained their people how to use it, their salespeople. But one of the things Coca-Cola bottling told every single person they had an iPad to was they said, you have to put Angry Birds on your iPad. We want you to play it. And what they dis- the reason they did that was people actually got used to doing the swiping and the finger gestures and moving around the iPad. They got comfortable through playing the game so that when they were giving presentations and filling out the paperwork, it was just as smooth. And they looked smooth in front of the people they were selling it to. You know, this was Coca-Cola's way of trying to make the technology and the new method of using a device ubiquitous for the user themselves so they look comfortable and they were comfortable with the device but yeah and an AUP has got to be written you know guys be spelled out in English if legal says they're going to wipe a device you need to put it in there we're going to wipe your entire device um one of the things that you know people discuss especially in a regulated industry like financials healthcare and everything else is when you face a lawsuit, you have something called legal hold. Well, with BYOD, does that mean that they're going to actually take an iPad? And if that's your iPad or your Android phone, um, your Windows phone, can they take it if it's your personal device? And what recourse do you have? And 
Should they provide you a new one while they're holding on to it? And those are the sorts of things that people have to be comfortable with or they're not going to want to participate. And would you also include, so so you wrote a, a very interesting blog post today. It was one of those kind of thought-provoking posts about um, BYOD. And, and let's say, for instance, um, somebody takes a phone that they've purchased and an iPad that they, they've purchased, and they go on a trip. And they, you know, for one reason or another, one or both of them break. And it's you know pretty critical for your corporate success and your corporate on corporate funding and a corporate trip. What is the what is the responsibility at that point? If you have to replace that phone, are you going to replace it or is or if you break that iPad, are you going to replace it? Because at that point, it's you know kind of considered business critical. And is that something that would also be covered under an acceptable use policy? It should be covered under an acceptable use policy and it should be covered in the planning. Most people don't think of that situation, and um, I mean, we've all read VMware, for example, has pushed everybody to a bring-your-own-device for pers- for telephones. Well, if you send somebody on a trip and their device breaks, and they need that device to do their work, does it make sense? You know, the example in the blog, the company had already spent five thousand dollars to send them to the meeting, and depending upon what the person's working on at that meeting. You know, if they can't participate as well without the materials, you could be losing $100 million because, you know, it takes longer to implement a solution for whatever they're doing. So you do need to look at that. And there are also legal ramifications. You know, there's one company that I read about recently, and I, I apologize, I don't recall the name, that actually told people you have to buy insurance when you buy your phone. You know, that's part of the deal. You're going to pay for insurance. Well, if you're requiring it, maybe the company should pay for it. And it, you know, it becomes this whole thing of stuff that you need to really think through. And you know, if you don't, when it happens, you're going to have to make some split decisions yep. that affect the rest of the rest of your policy and the rest of your project. Yeah, no, I, I think the more and more I, I've sort of done some research looking into this, I, the, you know, the more you you see some of these use cases, like you talked about, where it's like. It, you know who should pay for this? Should this be part of the policy? What's the gray area around some of those things? You know, and then you know, and then we hear stories like uh, like Hoff, like Chris, you know, uh, Chris Hoff <laughs> Beaker was telling, you know, he was telling two stories here the last couple of days. One, he left his iPad on a, on an airplane, and so you know, here's here's one of the guys who is thinking about security twenty four by seven is sort of world renowned, and you know, uh, there goes probably a bunch of corporate information now what they do and and encrypt stuff and secure stuff who knows and then the other story he's telling is they decided to go to a string based login onto your phone so instead of just four or five digits it's now like a long string because somebody probably thought oh we're going to do great password management well all of a sudden you know he's like i'm going to die driving with the sales guy cuz he's trying to put in a 16 character with, <laughs> with ampersands and all kinds of crap password because they want to be secure about that device and yeah, I mean, and, I, I, and, you, and Brian, you live that all the time. Like, I got to imagine people come up with all sorts of scenarios. I, I, you know, one of the very first posts I wrote probably six months ago was the fact that it's really got to be a balance between risk and reward. You know, you, you can't, you can't, you, you have to look at risk mitigation. You can't, it's no longer security can just say, you can't do this, you can't do that, 
no, 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 no. Because in the end, if you can't do all those things, and these are tools that are going to help you be profitable and make money, well, security's not going to have a job because nobody's going to be able to pay them. Right. And so there's a big, yeah, there's a big part of that. And one of the reasons that people move, like, for example, if you're on an Apple device, you want an eight-character password because that password becomes part of the seed for encryption. And you want to get above four or five digits. So you want to be six, preferably around eight. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to have complexity in there. It's not a bad thing, but the whole goal is to actually make sure that people can remember it. But a password isn't necessarily bad if the timeout isn't a minute. If the timeout's a minute, so if you don't touch your device in a minute, it's going to relock and you have to put the password in, you better believe that car is going to crash. Yeah. On the other hand, if the timeout's an hour, because conceivably you'll know, you know an hour's about enough time, you tend to pick up your phone once an hour, you're doing a presentation to somebody, your salesperson or your clinician, you don't have to unlock it all the time. Now you've, now you've found a balance and you've found that amount of time that works. And that's where you have to do with all that. So does that make any sense to you? No, I, I think it does. I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of these things where you know, I, I almost would guess that to be successful at some of this, you got to draw from, from outside uh, experience of people that have to deal with these things. So, you know, the, the first thing that jumped to mind is, um, you know, when, when there are uh, like big sporting events, right? So you're, you're a big, uh, you know, premier league soccer guy. I mean, you could get really secure and worry about the, uh, the safety of the players and have, uh, you know, uh, metal detectors trying to get in, but if you got to get eighty thousand people in there, you'll never get them in on, into the stadium or out of the stadium. And so, at some point, you say, like, what's the right security versus the thing we're trying to do for the business? And you know, it applies to mobile devices and it applies to to a lot of things. So, yeah, there, there's a, some some level of common sense and reality that kind of has to get worked in there. And uh, I mean, you know, I, I can I can tell you one of the things that when I've talked to people about password policy is people are much more willing to do an eight character password if you don't make them change it every 45 days, yep. which is something that, you know, if you go into any enterprise, they're usually between 45, 60, a few of them will go as long as 90 on your laptop or desktop before you have to change your password. Well, does it make sense to make them do that on their phone? Or maybe it's, let's give you six months or a year. And now it's not so bad to have a slightly longer password. You don't have to worry about remembering. It gets automatic. And you have a whole entire year before you have to change it again. Now, hopefully, you're only using that password on that device, but you know there's some common sense in there that we can't help. Yep, absolutely. Well, listen, uh, you know, Brian, as uh, as as of last time and this time, um, excellent stuff. I think we're we're sort of bumping into that time limit that we try and keep the show to. Um, so we will absolutely have to have you back. Uh, hopefully, uh, before six months again. This was this was too long. Um, Aaron, you want to uh, any final thoughts? Or you want to take us home? Yeah, absolutely. So we are out of time for this week. So, Brian, where can everyone follow you and, and find out more information about what you're following in the mobile space? Uh, well, the easiest way is Twitter. Um, easiest way to reach me, easiest way to talk to me. I love to interact. Um, BM Cats. So that's the easiest way. And then a screwsloose.com. 
is my blog, and I, you know, I've actually challenged myself in the last week or so to try and do a post every weeknight. So, uh, you know, every now and then you just want to refresh and pump words out and get the thoughts out of your head, and that's kind of what I've been doing recently. Very cool. Very cool. All right, you can follow us on Twitter at the Cloudcast or reach us on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can check out our newly designed and updated website. And you will find links to the show, our YouTube channel, uh, the show notes, and details on how to get us on iTunes and Stitcher. So thanks for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm.